But uh, we still want to continue to worship God because even opening His Word, of course, is uh, is worship. And uh, worship is more than just music. But boy, I hope you enjoyed that time of worshiping God through song. And so any of our young ones that haven't done yet, this would be the time where we invite you to go and, and join your teachers. And we, we thank our teachers for that. You know, we're always looking for other people to help with that ministry, with our Trinity kids. And so if you have an inclination towards that, to working with the younger uh, next generation, then please let us know and we can... Um, uh, we, we would just love to get you plugged in in that way because there's always a need for that. This morning, actually, we will be talking about generations, and so that's appropriate, talking about what it looks like to to pass on truth to the next generation. But just kind of uh, do an overview, get us caught up of where we are. Um, we are going through a series in the book of Genesis. And so uh, if you have your own Bible, I hope that you bring your own to church, you can open it to Genesis chapter 5 as we continue to build foundations. And so our series in Genesis is called Genesis Foundations, and then the tagline is the future begins here. Because remember, if we want to know how the story is going to end, if we want to know what Revelation says, and hey, are we in the end times, are all the events going on in our country around the world? Is this the, the trend we see that's leading us into what we read in Revelation? Well, before we do that, we need to go back and start at the beginning, right? To truly understand how the story ends, we need to have the foundation of the beginning of the story. And so Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book that lays foundations, And we can um, separate Genesis a couple of ways. It helps us to to understand and have perspective. There's really two parts to Genesis in that sense. The first part, chapters 1 to 11, is the foundation of the human race, right? And then the second part is the foundation of the Hebrew race. So we're still in part 1, and there's four events in part 1, and that would be the creation, the fall... The flood and the dispersion. So part one of Genesis, chapters 1 to 11, is really, um, you know, it's sort of highlighted by four main events. But then the second part of the book of Genesis, uh, the beginning of the, or the foundation of the Hebrew race, is really um, signified by four main characters. So you got four events and then four people, and that would be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so that's going to be like our journey through Genesis. And so we are still now uh, in part one, of course, and we're looking at uh, the fall, and we are looking at the consequences now of sin. The consequences of Adam and Eve's decision to be disobedient to God and to listen to Satan the enemy instead of God their creator. And so that's where we are now. We are looking at the consequences and ramifications of the fall. And we are in Genesis chapter 5. And today's scriptures is unique. You know, one of the, the great things about going through books of the Bible is what we love to do here. We preach the whole counsel of God through books of the Bible is that you can't skip over anything. So when you get to Genesis 5, where it's just a, a list of names and men that lived for a long time, it would be like easy to kind of skip over and be like, okay, I get it. Let's get to uh, Genesis 6 and talk about Noah and the flood. Yeah. But see, Genesis 5 is pivotal. 
And of course, all of God's word is important, right? And it all matters and it's all divinely inspired. And so there is something for us to learn, something for us to glean in chapter 5. It is the list of generations of Adam from Adam to Noah. So in some ways, today's uh, scripture sets the stage for the next big main event, and that would be the flood. Okay, so we are introduced to Noah today at the very end, but he's not the person we're going to talk about. You see, Genesis 5 is a list of names, and we see those throughout Scripture. Once in a while in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see genealogies, list of names, like here was this person, they were born, they lived this amount of time, and, and then uh, they had this child, and this child was born, you know, born and raised and, and lived and died and all that. And it seems like, boy, what can we learn from that, just a list of names? Well, the prayer this morning is that God would reveal to us just something unique and special about Genesis chapter 5 and uh, how it not only sets the stage for Genesis 6 and Noah and the flood, a story we're all pretty much familiar with, but it bridges the gap between Genesis 4 and Genesis 6. Does that make sense that Genesis 5 would go between 4 and 6, right? And there's a reason, because it brings us from the line of Cain in Genesis 4 line of Seth in Genesis 5, which will then show us how we get to Noah. Because you remember Genesis 4, it showed the, the lineage or the genealogy of Cain, and it's the way not to live, the things not to do. So this is now the lineage of Adam, not through Cain, but another of his sons, and that would be Seth. There's a big contrast between the two. And so part of what we're going to see is that difference between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. You know, um, probably uh, the the most uh, familiar part of Genesis 5 is the introduction of this one uh, man. His name is Methuselah. Did you ever hear of him? Well, what is he famous for? Being old. I like that. Yeah, being old. And uh, <clears throat> some of us that are feeling old are like, yeah, you wake up and you're like, I feel like Methuselah. And so, yeah, it's one of these things that you hear a lot about. And like if you're doing a Bible trivia game or something, who was the oldest person ever lived from, from the Bible? And it would be Methuselah. And so this is the chapter, Genesis 5, where we learn about him. He lived to be 969 years old. How do we like that? Almost a thousand years. Do you want to live to be almost a thousand years? No, thank you. (laughs) Is that crazy, a thousand years? Well, we know the average lifespan uh, now in this country, it's different throughout the world, it's interesting, but but in the U.S., the average lifespan is about 78 years old, a little over 78. But actually, compared to other countries, we're pretty low on the list. You would think maybe with with, uh, with our health care and lifestyle and technologies and advancements that we would be up there. But actually, no, we're kind of lower than a lot of other countries. And you have countries like Japan, where it's uh, in the 80s. It's like 82 and, and 83. And there's an island off of, of uh, Italy where they, they get closer to even to 100 average lifespan. You know, um, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, that 
that you start to feel old, and we're talking about Methuselah lived to be 969 years, and we can't even imagine it. When you think about how old we are and the things that are starting to go wrong in our physical bodies, in our minds, the things that start to break down, right? And, and you know you're getting you know you're getting old when when you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. You you know you're getting old when you try to straighten out your wrinkles in your socks and you discover you're not wearing any socks. You know you're getting old when you you wake up looking like your driver's license picture. That's not good for anybody. You know you're getting old when it takes two tries to get up from the couch. Anybody in that? Yeah. Or when all you want for your birthday is to not be reminded of your age, right? Or it takes longer to rest than it did to get tired in the first place. You know you're getting old, right? You know you're getting old when your address book has mostly names that start with DR. Or you sit in a rocking chair and you can't even get it going. You know you're getting old when everything hurts and, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work anyway. You know you're getting old when you give up all your bad habits, but you still don't feel good. <laughs> and you know you're getting old when you have more patience, but really it's actually that you just don't care. Signs of old age, right? There's lots of signs of getting old and and isn't it interesting that we talk about Methuselah living 969 years? And I'm not sure I'd want to live that long. But think about the life and, and uh, what he lived. But, you know, I mentioned that there's different parts of the country, that, of the world, that have um, a longer lifespan than the U.S. But did you know that um, those people that are on this particular island off the Mediterranean, it's an Italian island, and shepherds, especially Bedouin shepherds that live in the Middle East, out in the deserts, their like, uh, life expectancy average is 100 years old. Isn't that amazing that there are people that live in the world where their life expectancy is 100 years old. And we're at about 78. Yes, the researchers and scientists believe it has to do with their diet and uh, getting regular exercise and being outside in the sun. But there's two other things, church, that that scientists, researchers have found that attribute to these people that, that, that have a life expectancy of a hundred years old, especially those shepherds. Cause you know, it's interesting. The Bedouin shepherds of the deserts in the Middle East and these people that live on this, this small Italian island in the Mediterranean, most of them are shepherds also. So I think maybe we need to go where we can be shepherds, right? There's something about it, but here's what they found. It's exercise, it's being outside, it's, it's uh, the, the diet they have, very natural and organic and all that. But two other factors that are really important. So much less stress. And so much more time with family. It's about relationships. And those close relationships, those intimate relationships with family lead to so much less stress. And so they find these people are living longer mainly because there's less stress in their life and they have close ties to family and friends. It's about relationships. And see, we know what stress is like, don't we? And I think we've all learned by now enough. We go to the doctor and we read about it and hear about it. The effect of stress on our physical bodies, let alone our mind, but our physical bodies and what it does. 
But you ever think about the relational issue and how important relationships are to our physical health? Not just our heart, but our whole bodies. Well, you know, chapter 5 of Genesis is about relationships in a way. It shows a genealogy from Adam to Noah through the line of Seth. Not Cain, but through Seth. Remember, these are the people that called on the name of the Lord. That's how they were described. As opposed to the line of Cain who walked away from God. See the difference? It's about relationship, church. Relationship to one another and relationship to God. It is good for our health. Can we say amen to that? I mean, science has proven that prayer is good for your physical health. I think we knew that already. But see, relationship is good. It is good for the soul and it's good for the body. And so Genesis 5, I'll read it now, is a list of names. It's a list of names of people that lived, and of course it's not everyone, but it's a highlighted list of people that lived from Adam to Noah. And so away it, it bridges the gap, it gets us from Adam to Noah. And you're going to see a pattern, see if you can pick it out. I'll mention it after I'm done reading it. But here's a list of the descendants of Adam to Noah, or the, the genealogy, or the generations. You know, isn't it important that we learn from past generations? I mean, we have children down the hall right now that are learning. They're learning from older people about what it means to walk with the Lord. And we are um, called in Scripture as believers to pass on our faith to the next generation. How well are we doing that? Passing on our faith, our trust in the Lord Jesus to the next generation and to the next and the next. You know, my wife Claudia says that she is ready to be a grandmother. I just, I don't know, there's something about that. Not sure that I'm ready. Well, I'm not ready to be a grandmother. I'm ready to be a grandfather. But it just sounds strange. But you know what? One of the things I do look forward to in spending time with them, if you're a grandparent, you know, is being able to teach those things. Maybe it's the things that that you regret not teaching to your kids. Or maybe you see the way your kids turned out and say, I get a second chance with the grandkids, see. But here's what it says in Genesis chapter 5. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. See if you can notice the pattern. And then what I want to do is just look at a little bit for, for our time remaining. What we learn from this chapter, about from generations, from Adam to Noah. And I'm going to look at, in particular, verses 1 and 2. So you can highlight those. And then verses 21 to 24. Because, yeah, we hear about Methuselah, but we're not talking about him today. We're going to talk about this guy named Enoch. We see and learn about him in in verses 21 to 24. Here is Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years 
and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived um, after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. It's a little bit easier to say. Thank you. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord this morning in Genesis chapter 5. So was that fun? I mean, you followed along a bunch of names, but hopefully you were to see a few things. One, there is a pattern. There is a pattern in each of these as these verses go on where we see that um, that there is a name given, how many years they lived, they fathered a child, how long they lived after doing that, they had other sons and daughters, it adds up the total of their years, and then what does it say? He died. Did you notice that? It says that a lot. I think it says it eight times. And then he died. But there was one where that pattern doesn't fit. And that's in verses 21 to 24. We'll look at that in a moment. And that is the person of Enoch. How curious that is. But again, something to learn from him. So, 
review. Genesis chapter 4 is the generations of Cain that went away from the Lord. They had a great flourishing society. If you remember, you can go back and read chapter 4 later. They made great advancements, right? They had all kinds of music and culture and art and technological advancements and, and weapons advancements, but they did it without God. That was characterized by Lamech. There's two different Lamechs here, by the way, so let's not get, let's not get confused. There's a Genesis 4 and a Genesis 5. But, but let's pause for just a second. Does that sound a little familiar? Does it sound familiar to have a society that makes great advancements in culture, in the arts, in science, in technology? Great advancements for the human race, but to do it all without God. That sound similar to our society? When we talk about the world, let's remember that we have an adversary who has dominion over this world, as God allows it, until the Lord Jesus returns to set up His kingdom. So, Last week we talked about establishing a biblical worldview and understanding this. But those who do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation as the Son of God, as God Himself, they are building a worldview and thus a society that can on the outside look great and look like there is so much success. But yet inside there is so much wickedness and they are doing it without God. See, that is represented by the line of Cain in Genesis 4. You follow me? That's Genesis 4. That is Cain going establishing society, but doing it without God, without the blessing of God. It seems like prosperity, but without God, it is worth nothing. It's temporal, but not eternal. Now Genesis 5, which we just read, is the generations of Adam, not through Cain, but through Seth. Remember, they thought Cain was going to be that Messiah, that one that God promised would crush the head of, of, of the serpent. So now they have Seth to replace, in a way, to replace Abel, who was killed And it says that he walked with the Lord. In that he called, him and his people called on the name of the Lord. That's how Genesis 4 ends. And so this uh, chapter 5 is is not just a list of names, but it can be a blessing to us. And if nothing else, it was an important blessing and reminder to the people of Israel about who they should be like. Like Cain or like Seth. Remember... Who was writing this book? Who wrote the book of Genesis? It was Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Remember why he wrote them? He was writing them to give instruction to the nation of Israel who were about to go into the promised land. Okay? And so they were, they were in the wilderness and they were about to enter into the promised land and Moses was basically saying, I better write down their history for them to remind them of who they are So when they go into this land, they don't forget. And they don't then let this other corrupt pagan societies and civilizations around them taint them and corrupt them. 
See, that's what happened because they forgot God. Because they chose not to walk with God. So Moses writes Genesis, and here he's giving them this uh, this example. And saying, remember, here's what happened with Cain. And it might look good on the outside, but it's ungodly on the inside. So as if to warn them, listen Israel, when you get into the promised land, there can be all these other pagan nations around you. Might look very appealing to kind of intermingle and become like them and worship their gods. Because unfortunately that happened as well. They said, you're, you're to be called out a light to those nations. Remember who you are. Don't listen. He's saying, don't live as the people of Cain. Live as the people of Seth who began to call on the name of the Lord. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying to them. That's the example, see? So, we read the genealogy. A genealogy is good here. It brings us from Adam to Noah. It helps to narrate the history. There's ten generations listed here. It reminds us God is sovereign. God is a God of order. There might be chaos all around us. Look at His creation. Look at his word, look at his personality, his characteristics. He is a God of order. He is a God who is sovereign. He is over his creation, which is all ordered according to his plan. History is not random. He is orchestrating all of it. Whether it looks like it or not, God is in charge. And now we think about, just, just briefly, how do these people live so long? Well, there's a lot of theories we can go into, and we just don't have the, the time or sort of the bandwidth to do that today. There's theories about um, what the world was like then, before the flood. Remember, this is still pre-flood. And what it was like, the environment would have been different probably, and it was just conducive to people living longer. And of course, if God said, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth then didn't it make sense that they would live longer? Because in this genealogy, what did it say? It said they mentioned one person that was born, but says they had other sons and daughters. Now, think about it. And women might not want to consider this, but if, if they lived, if the men and women lived into their 800s and 900s, and it says they had other sons and daughters, do you think they had maybe three or four more? I don't think so. I think there was a lot of babies being born, right? They were filling and populating the earth. And it just makes sense. God would create an environment, however he did it, before the flood, pre-flood, to allow people to live hundreds and hundreds of years so they could have dozens and dozens, and I say maybe hundreds of children. We can't imagine that now. But to populate the earth makes sense. Some researchers say that Perhaps by the time of the flood, there were um, maybe close to a 100 million people. If you look at ages and spans and average expectancy and, and how many children they might have had, can you imagine that? But it all goes according to God's plan because he is sovereign and he is in charge and he is a God of order. This is not a book of random facts and people and happenings. Do you agree with that? That God has ordered it and has it um, uh, in mind and in his plan. So the beginning right, of this uh, passage, uh, Genesis 5, 
in verses 1 and 2, it says, okay, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he, meaning mankind, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them, named them man. Of course, there's man and woman. There's Adam and Eve. But named them man, meaning mankind, from the earth, from the dust. That's what it means. When they were created. Okay, so what does this tell us? The first two verses, quickly. It reminds us what it says in Genesis 1, that, and then again in Genesis 2, we are made in the likeness of God. Church, let's remember always, we are made in His image. We love because He loves. Right? And we, we seek truth and justice because He is a God who is truth and justice. So, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 remind us we are made in the image of God. And that that was good and there was no sin. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. multiply." And he said that he was going to bless them and that he even named them. That's how personal God is. Remember I said this chapter reminds us about the importance of relationships. It's important to be in relationship with others and of course with God. So it says, God created man in his image, male and female. So what does that tell us? If that is God's planned order... It reminds us, male and female, that's it. There's no third or fourth option. You see that? Male and female, God created them. Created them male and female, Adam and Eve, and then all of the rest from there, like the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Male and female, he created them. So, that is God's plan, and there's a period after that. See, and so we don't mess with that order of God. Okay? So God sets it right there. Remember, Genesis is laying foundations for society. Cain went out and built his own society apart from God. Nothing good was going to happen. It might look good on the outside, but it wasn't. Because it wasn't blessing of God. They weren't walking with God. The line of Seth now, getting through Noah and all the rest after him, we see that they were the ones that began to call on the name of the Lord. So, Male and female, he created them. That's God's plan. That's his design. That's his order. And we cannot change that. It says, he blessed them, which means there were children. He said, be be fruitful and multiply, right? Male and female, they get together. They have children. That's the blessing. Doesn't it seem like God, in this sense, is reminding the people of Israel, through Moses writing this, that, listen... The foundation, Genesis foundations, the foundation of the civilization I want you to build is the family. Male and female, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, they are blessed. If he blesses them with children, then it is the family. But even if not, the male and female, the husband and wife, whether they have children or not, constitute a family. Do you see that? And God is saying it is the bedrock, the foundation of our civilization, of our society. And so you don't mess with the gender, male and female, and you don't mess with the family unit. Male and female, and children if the Lord blesses, then what? What happens if we start messing with the gender, with the family structure? God is saying, this is the foundation of a civilization. What do you do if the foundation starts to crumble? On it will not last. You see the truth here? 
We don't want to miss it. And then he also talks about, um, he says, uh, he blessed them, made a name, they were created, right? And, and we are supposed to then have dominion over the earth. It said back in Genesis 1 and 2, right? That we are to tend and cultivate uh, our create the, God's creation and our society to care for people. Cain abandons this. The line of Seth takes that on because it says that they began to call on the name of the Lord. See, all I'm trying to say is we don't want to just skip over because it it's a bunch of names. God is continuing to build the foundation. And so if he's saying chapter 4 is the line of Cain, don't do that. And Moses is writing this to the people of Israel saying, be like the line of Seth. And he's saying, remember, we're made in God's image, all of us. Create us male and female, that's it. It's the family unit, the structure, starting with the husband and wife. And that is the foundation of any society and civilization. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. But you know, unfortunately, the fruit didn't turn out the way it was intended did you ever get an apple? Maybe you didn't notice it. You bring it home and it's got a big bruise on it. Or the worst, it's got the impression of a fingernail. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, somebody got their nail in it. Okay, I'm not eating that. It's like the apple is bruised and it's even got a worm inside of it. It's infected. And then what happens, the worm grows from the inside out. See, the infection grows from the inside out. It spreads This really in Genesis 5 is showing us how sin that we learn about from the fall of Adam and Eve. We see what happens with Cain killing Abel. Cain going out and walking away from God. This is really the beginning of the spread of sin. Eight times it says, here is this person. They fathered this person, sons and daughters. They lived this long and he died. And he died. Why? Because death is the curse of sin. Death is always the consequence of sin. But church, even though that seems hopeless, with God there is always hope. So let's look at the hope in this passage. Yeah, it's about generations that are born and then they live and then it says they die. It's a reminder of the consequence of the sin of the human race and the spreading of sin and permeating throughout society, even through the line of Seth, just because they called on the name of the Lord doesn't mean that they were without sin or perfect. But yet, we see a glimmer of hope. Let's turn to verses 21 to 24. What does it say here? So remember, it listed a bunch of people and how long they lived. And then it said they died. But what happens in verse 21? Something in that pattern changes. It's kind of There's a a, a pause button pressed on that pattern. It says in verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, that's pretty young, he fathered Methuselah. But then the pattern shifts. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. See, the other, the part of the pattern than the other people, it doesn't say they walked with God. It said they lived. See the difference? They lived a certain amount of years after they fathered a, 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 a baby. But this says Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. 
Thus the days of Enoch were 365 years. So that fits into the pattern, but look at verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Do you see what's left out there? What does it not say? It doesn't say, and he died. It says, and he was not. God, in his mercy and his sovereignty, took Enoch as he was walking with him on the earth and took him to be with himself. Enoch did not experience physical death. Because it says he walked with God, and all of a sudden, he wasn't walking anymore. He was not because God took him. Why is that important? First of all, let's look at this. He was walking with God. He lived a long time. He was walking with God. Church, what does it mean to walk with God? Don't we often say to each other, how's your walk? Maybe we should say that more often. How's your walk with God? It's like part of our our sort of uh, faith language, our Christian language, to ask each other, how's your walk? A walk with God or your walk is is a way of describing your life in Christ, right? How are you living out your faith? And we say, how's your walk? Well, what does it mean when you're walking? First of all, it means you're upright. It means that you have a destination. But it says he walked with God. When you're walking with somebody, you naturally have some kind of relationship with them. It says he walked with God. So let's first realize this. It means that Enoch had a close personal relationship with God. He was walking with him. Do you remember what it said when God created Adam and Eve and they were in the garden? It says they walked with him in the garden. But then because of sin, they had to walk out of the garden. Because of sin, Cain had to walk away from God. Banished, right? Do you see that? And so it says Enoch walked with God. That means he was living a life of obedience. That he was worshiping God. That he was living a life based on truth. See, it means that he had a relationship. But then from that relationship, he had fellowship. And then in that fellowship, there was discipleship. See the pattern? It starts with a relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? We know that in Christ, that is how we have a relationship with God once again. Only through the shed blood of Christ. See, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, if you want to have a relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, your Creator again, you come through me. And so Enoch walked with God. He had a relationship. That's where it starts. It starts with a relationship. It starts for us with putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the relationship. But then it also means fellowship. It's our communion. Once we have the relationship, are we then walking with God and enjoying that walk? You see, that's the fellowship. That's the Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden and enjoying that perfect relationship. So there's the relationship, there's the fellowship, and then there's discipleship. That is the learning. I said that earlier during the church life. How do we pursue being a disciple? It's the learning, the growing, the serving, right? And, And that's the discipleship. It starts with the relationship. 
you then have fellowship. You're enjoying that relationship, and because of it, you are then growing. Cain did not walk with the Lord. He wandered. But at the end of chapter 4, it talks about Seth. It says, they called on the name of the Lord. They worshipped. They prayed. But then we see Enoch, verses 21 to 24. He walked with God. God saved him from physical death. Remember, Moses is writing this to the nation of Israel, about to go on the promised land. And he's telling them, walk with God. It reminds me of, of Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, why is this hopeful? Look, church, because of Enoch. Because it says he walked with the Lord and he was not. Because God took him. It reminds us there is always hope in God. There is always the opportunity for salvation. There is always the opportunity to beat death. Physical death? No. Spiritual death? Yes. Through Jesus Christ. See, Enoch in that sense, gives us hope because there is the possibility that sin can be overcome. Even the line of Seth were sinful in Seth, but God does the one, God is does the taking. See, God is the one who reaches out and takes Enoch because Enoch walked with him. God does the saving. Yes, Enoch was walking with God, but Enoch did not disappear on his own. Enoch did not avoid physical death on his own. God is the one who did it for him. Salvation starts with God. It is an act and a work of God. Only God can do it. God is the one who reaches out to save. God is the one who reaches down and takes Enoch away. Salvation is of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It wasn't Enoch's own doing. He was walking with God. So God considered that righteousness like he did with Abraham later on. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that that no one may boast. God does the saving God reaches down and takes Enoch. So it says, and he was not because God took him. Church, there's consequences of sin. They are inescapable because even the righteous die. But spiritually, it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But, don't you just love when there's a but there? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. See, Enoch in chapter 5 was the exception. He reminds us that there's hope, that salvation is possible, that God is the one who brings salvation, that we cannot earn it on our own. We are to compare those civilizations. The descendants of Cain established a great society, but away from the Lord. It was progress without God. They worshipped, in effect, themselves. The descendants of Seth, they walked with God. We're not told much about their culture and the advancements, but what we're told is the most important thing. They called upon the name of the Lord. That meant what? They were praying. They were worshipping. They were seeking God. 
And their representative is Enoch. He was obedient. He walked with the Lord. And this is what we're meant to do. So Enoch can give us hope. See, through Seth, from Adam, through Seth to Noah, we get Noah who really is a type of Jesus, a Savior, isn't he? Saving the people from the flood, a remnant. Through Seth, we also get then later Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And who comes through that line? Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah being that promise. The seed of the woman that God promised in the beginning of Genesis. Moses is showing Israel here in Genesis 5. Don't go the way of Cain. Go the way of Seth. Those are your choices. You can be outwardly successful, have all kinds of achievements, but do it without God. It will not last and mean nothing. Or you can be like Seth and his line. It might seem like nothing special, but they were faithful. Remember, when we get to heaven, God is not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Therefore, we have hope. Enoch walked with God. It starts with a relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? And if you do, are you walking with Him? In obedience, in prayer, in worship, are you enjoying it? Church, if you stand, we're going to close in a song. Before we do, I want to read this, um, I want to read this psalm. This is Psalm 1, just the first few verses. It says this, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, Cain prospered, but as he walked away from God. Seth prospered. It might not have looked like it, but he prospered because he walked with God. Enoch prospered because he walked with God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they prospered, maybe not outwardly, the way that we might define it, but they prospered. They were rich because they walked with God. And church, that's our call, is to walk with God. To walk with God, and remember, just like with Enoch, it's not our good works that saves us, it is God, because God is the one that reaches down, and it says Enoch was not. Church, there's always hope. Even in a genealogy like Genesis 5, where it says over and over, and he died, yes, we know, one day we all die a physical death, but we do not have to die spiritually, that we can have life, that we have the hope of eternal life, but only through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who offers and provides eternal life.